The more we can shift to patient self-scheduling, the more we can shift sort of in the big picture finances of our organizations, those dollars and that spend to other areas like providers, like hiring providers. So we are really doubling down on making sure that we are able to offer patient self-scheduling in a way that is safe, but also allow us from a business perspective to think differently about where we're making investments. Welcome to the All Access Pass, a podcast brought to you by the Patient Access Collaborative, giving you an exclusive behind the scenes look at all things access in the ambulatory enterprise. Here, patient access leaders from academic health systems and industry experts share their expertise on hot topics in access, including best practices, process development, organizational dynamics, technological innovation, and patient experience. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Elizabeth Woodcock, and I'm the executive director of the Patient Access Collaborative. Today, we're going to be talking about capacity and specifically to clinical capacity planning. And I know for our listeners, y'all might be like, whoa, 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 I thought y'all were patient access. But it's been really interesting to see in the last three four, five years, but particularly during COVID, that our leaders at academic health systems, at children's hospitals, at cancer centers around the United States, more than a hundred, have really been asked to be engaged in the strategy of the health system. And when I say strategy, I'm talking uh, really about the ambulatory enterprise of the health system. How can we do better in terms of building out, maintaining and optimizing that capacity of our most precious asset, of course, our provider's time. That asset which we deliver in an equitable and timely manner to our communities. But it's tough. It's sort of like talking about, in a way, like supply chain management for companies. Like, how do we deliver effectively that provider's time that our community our community wants, needs, and arguably deserves. I am so excited to be able to sit down with three experts on this topic, three of our patient access collaborative uh, amazing access leaders. With me, I have Melanie Casimus, who is the Senior Director of Ambulatory Capacity Management for Boston-based Massachusetts General Hospital. Out on the West Coast, we have Rebecca Carey, who's the Administrative Director of uh, Patient Journey Optimization from Stanford Health. And uh, going to the Midwest, we have Paul Rohr, who is the Director of Access for the University of Colorado School of Medicine. Three incredible leaders who have been wrestling with this issue actually for a number of years as their health systems have been elevating their voices to help solve this big challenge of uh, clinical capacity planning. So I thought I would start off with metrics because I think data is really super important. And I wanted to turn it over to Paul to talk a little bit about the indicators that you use to identify when additional providers are required to meet the needs of the ambulatory enterprise. Paul? Hi, thank you. Um, great question. 
as you mentioned, you know, our provider capacity is, is one of the most valuable assets for the organization, but also our, our bricks and mortar and our staffing are, are components that come into play here as well. You know, we want to make sure that we're using everything as efficiently as we can. Um, so we look at, you know, things like our, our schedule fill rate, our schedule utilization for providers and what our space utilization looks like over time. But there's also uh, indicators in there as well for, you know, what's our referral volume look like? How long does it take to get patients in? And, you know, recruiting is uh, obviously one uh, strategy where, um, you know, we feel like we're exhausting the available capacity. Um, but there's there's also, you know, the questions, are we solving the right problems? So, you know, within that, I think it takes a, a deep dive into, you know, the the workings of the template. Are, you know, do we have the the right block or the right session limits for new patients? And then, you know, do we have uh, other things that are working for us, like our our ticket scheduling and some of the self-service capabilities? Are we, you know, maximizing our ability for for patients to to serve themselves as well? And then, you know, obviously the the patient experience comes into to play there. So, you know, are, are patients satisfied with, with the care that they're receiving um, at that site? Um, so, you know, obviously there's there's no silver bullet metric, so to speak, but, you know, coming at it from a, a variety of angles, I think helps us understand the right problem to solve there. Paul, my head is spinning because certainly when I started off at an academic health system, we weren't measuring a single indicator that you have mentioned at all. And I wanted to turn this over to Melanie. You have an interesting job right now sitting at Massachusetts General Hospital, but also looking at this from a system perspective, an enterprise-wide perspective, as you really build a bridge with your partner health system, the Brigham. And so I would love to throw this off to you. Does your system have a standardized methodology where you're managing this centrally, the indicators that Paul mentioned are more, or are each individual specialties managing this individually? Melanie? Thank you, Elizabeth. Um, yeah, so where we are today is actually a foot in both camps. So up until very recently, we have had each clinical department really has taken this on on their own. Um, all of the metrics that Paul just ran through and described are metrics that we have in our toolkit, if you will. What we've done, though, is as we look at an enterprise-wide, sort of more rationalized look at our collective capacity, we've decided to hone in on some metrics that, you know, I'll make a clear point, are not the only metrics that are important for us to understand whether or not we have appropriate capacity, but they're where we have honed in to say, we need to have a clear understanding as an organization that is very large and very complex, what we have to offer from a capacity standpoint. So what have we done? We've looked to see very discreetly how many new patient slots we have planned out for a one-year period for each of our clinics and each of our providers. And we project out the estimated number of new patients we can see. Um, and that really is for physicians and APPs. We've focused our attention and in fellows where we have um, academic programs that have fellows, but we're really focusing on those resource groups and the number of new patient slots that we have identified. And the idea is that we're calibrating against those as we make decisions as providers leave or we make decisions about template changes. We're, re we're, we're doing reanalysis to understand how far we are on those projections. 
and using new patient slots and also the percent of the visit mix that is made up by new patients. So we have targets for each of those, not only the volume, but the mix. And we really want to make sure that our physicians and our APPs are working together along with the fellows where appropriate so that we are leveraging folks at the highest level of their license um, and pushing more and more to have APPs take on new patient panels as well. So we've started there. Um, We're also looking at session counts and session lengths. So anytime a provider steps foot in clinic, our goal is that they are there for at least four hours. It doesn't always happen. You know, we have a tripartite mission. We have academics and we have research and we have clinical care, but we are looking to make sure that there is transparency and we understand where we are for each provider in each clinic as it relates to their session counts and session lengths. Um, So that's sort of where we focused in initially and um, we're using planning and then reassessment toward plan and monitoring as we go forward to help us understand if there are specialties or areas within specialties where perhaps we need more provider um, capacity. We need to hire uh, more providers to help us meet the goals that uh, Paul described, right? Those are many of those outcomes metrics of either having or not having the appropriate capacity to meet the demand. Awesome. Great response. And, you know, it's really interesting because I think some of our listeners may be like, whoa, why didn't this happen before? And it was almost like how the wind was blowing. And yet today, y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're particularly post-COVID seeing this bolus of demand. We don't have enough supply to be able to handle it. And of course, we're also really hampered by many providers who have made decisions to either leave medicine altogether or to um, go into alternative fields. So we're actually losing our supply at the same time that demand is really peaking. And so, you know, Paul and Melanie have kind of laid out some of these great indicators. And Melanie, as you have mentioned, some of them are actually outcomes like lagging indicators. So Rebecca, I'd love to turn it over to you to say like, is there like this trigger, this red light, like, uh uh-oh, we've really got to get on the horn because particularly from your lens of patient experience, this can be a really big patient dissatisfier, as well as one might argue a patient safety issue if we can't get patients seen in the ambulatory enterprise. So kind of walk through that trigger warning for us if you have one. Yeah, Elizabeth, thank you. I just reflect on Paul's comments around the metrics that we are all measuring when we look at the brick and mortar of our space and how we are exploring ways to use beyond that, whether it's telemedicine or other things. And uh, Melanie's comments around really understanding the true capacity that we each have. We have so much data at our fingertips now. From a patient experience perspective, we're really looking at what, how do we get the right patient with the right provider at the right time? And um, the weight trigger method that we use, Elizabeth, we don't, re- we don't really have one. That's part of our challenges. Every specialty is managing this at their specialty level. What we do observe and pay very close attention to, we have a aligned physician leader and operational leader at every specialty, and they're paying very close attention to all those metrics, but specifically the referral backlog. What we know is if we can't get patients scheduled, even in a timely manner, we start to put patients at risk. And so how do we manage 
that referral backlog is one of the um, very few red lights that start to flash at us to help us understand that we have to put a plan into place more immediately. Um, and we have a variety of mechanisms that we use to do that, to evaluate that. Um, we have physicians um, get involved with physician triage of those referrals of those patients, trying to make sure we're paying close attention to those that come from our inpatient uh, arena as discharges or our emergency rooms or coming from referrals within the community as urgent. Um, but even then, beyond that, there's still a big population of patients that need access to that care. And how we uh, track those and dig into the weeds with them is really what we use as our trigger mechanism. I wish there was a better red light that gave us uh, some tools at our fingertips. And, and hopefully, as we all learn from each other, we'll have that in the next year or so. It's a great point. It certainly is much better than how the wind is blowing, um, is that we have gotten more intentional about really trying to better understand our demand as well as our capacity so that we can continue to plan for it. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm going to take it back to you, Paul, because at the University of Colorado, y'all as I understand your faculty, you're attending staff, many, many sites, hospitals, facilities, and you have a number of faculty, if not the majority, that are really representing what one might call niche specialties. So these are subspecialty academic tertiary care specialists. And oftentimes there's one, maybe two of them. So certainly growth management can be really, really challenging, particularly in a competitive market like the greater Denver market. Um, can you kind of talk about, uh, you know, You've got very small provider pools to recruit from nationally. How do you even manage an ambulatory enterprise in this paradox? You need them, but there's not very many of them, and there's not much bench strength either. Paul? That's uh, another excellent question. And and it is tough to, to, you know, think about some of those challenges as well, you know, where there's more patients than, than there are providers. And, you know, there's there's people behind that that, you know, are, are waiting for care. But, you know, I think we, you know, in our tertiary quaternary um, areas, you know, really have to make sure that we're, you know, also focusing on the experience of getting the right patient to the right subspecialty provider. So there's, when there are those backlogs and those, those triggers with a, a sense of urgency, I, I think it um, allows us to you know, think about how we're managing the demand differently. Um, it, it leads to some hard conversations about what do we do about self-referrals and is that okay? Or, you know, are, are there asynchronous tools like e-consults that uh, can play a, a huge role in allowing us to, you know, really have our, our force multiplier, you know, go outside, you know, and one 60-minute slot. Um, we could have a rheumatologist see, you know, probably four or five e-consults versus one new patient appointment. And then, you know, we also think about, you know, how do we educate primary care providers around the area? And we've got a, a great peer mentored collaborative care center that, you know, really helps provide some some education around the, the region um, just to help uh, help patients be able to stay in their, their medical home and um, help manage elements of some of those subspecialty conditions. Yeah, it's a really interesting point because we're focused on capacity planning, but in a way, with the constraints that we're given as leaders, actually, 
we have to pay attention to demand management as well. So, Paul, it's really very, very interesting insight. And as I was thinking about capacity planning, too, as we know, as we get better at this, arguably we're going to see more volume in our ambulatory enterprises, which means more scheduling, which means more phone calls and or communication touch points with patients. Melanie, knowing that it's been oh gosh, almost 15 years that you've also been involved in contact center management, which is another big element, of course, of patient access. Can you talk about the tie, the intersection between capacity planning and the operations of access uh, leaning into the contact center component? Melanie? Absolutely. And actually, this is one of the things that drove me into being interested in capacity management was seeing how challenging it can be to run a call center without having a group like the ones that we represent here. It really, really does make it either that much more easier, that much more difficult for a call center to effectively take care of patients when we don't have these these um, structures in place. I do want to, there are two things that we are working on that I think are vital um, into solving for this question that you asked, Elizabeth. One is really understanding, this is sort of maybe the least sexy, if you will, version, but, uh, or component, but really understanding the, the connections between ratios of visits to scheduling encounters, to calls, to staffing models, bringing all of that data together to understand based on how many calls we're getting or how many visits we are projecting out, how many calls is that going to bring in for scheduling? And then what do we really have to provide for capacity there? And is all of that lining up? Um, So that's one piece of work we're doing is to constantly continue to reiterate and refine our data, all the data that we have to make sure we're able to project. The other piece is, interestingly, um, it doesn't create more capacity, but it helps us create a more efficient process where we can invest in different ways within our our programs, within our clinical departments, is patient self-scheduling. So the degree to which patients can schedule themselves, which we know in many areas of our lives, we sort of expect that today, not for all of our patients, but for a lot of our patients. The more we can shift to patient self-scheduling, the more we can shift sort of in the big picture finances of our organizations, those um, dollars and that spend to other areas um, like providers, like hiring providers. So we are really doubling down on making sure that we are able to offer patient self-scheduling in a way that is safe, meaning we're getting them placed with the right providers, as everyone has said, right provider, right time, right location, but also allow us from a business perspective to think differently about where we're making investments. So um, that is another area that we're digging into. And that's not easy. It can be very hard, but I think it's critical to um, a good capacity strategy because it really, it's, it's the templates and the actual clinic schedules are really important and they're for certain at the center, but there's so much more to this um, than just that. And I think we all feel that and see that every day. And, and these kinds of strategies are really, from my perspective, the future of um, what's going to allow us to solve for some of those challenging problems that we have today. 
Yeah, it's interesting, Melanie, because it's almost like you started off with sort of the end point of access where, you know, picking up the phone from the patient. And this has been something that I've seen with the spectrum of the PAC members is that uh, many folks have kind of, I would argue, moved up the supply chain to the origin, which is really uh, how do we place that patient into what our capacity. It's ultimately, you know, kind of supply and demand coming together from a patient access perspective. And I don't mean to be so dramatic, but I do think this topic is really linked to to quality, safety, and experience at the system level. Um, And I say dramatic because I feel like certainly when I started in healthcare, it was like, oh, outpatient. Are you kidding me? They would pat me on the head and be like, oh, that's so cute. But now ambulatory is really, really critical. And what we're talking about is ultimately access to that ambulatory enterprise. So Rebecca, I wondered if you could kind of, with that perspective and, and you know, let me know if you agree or not, how, you know, is this linked to quality, safety, and experience? And, um, you know, how are you, how are you creating that, uh, that dialogue inside of Stanford to really elevate your voice as it comes to clinical capacity planning? Rebecca? Thanks, Elizabeth. I think that I I think we all can agree that this is very linked to quality and um, experience. And I'm really excited at Stanford that our annual operational plan, um, which is probably very similar to my colleagues on the line, it's focused on quality, patient experience our people and our financial metrics, access is embedded to each one of those areas, um, most specifically around quality, because getting appropriate access to care does affect care outcomes. It affects our inpatient units. It affects our emergency departments. Um, So we have very specific goals tied to quality around access. But the larger access goals are actually embedded in our patient experience measures and how we interact with our patients and how we meet their needs um, along that line. And so our very specific access measures fall in that patient experience realm. And obviously we know it hits efficiencies in our financial arenas and how we interact with our own teams and care teams and our providers within the organization under people. But when we talk about access, it's it's an alignment between our patient experience teams and our ambulatory access leaders. And um, at Stanford, we really pay close attention to what's happening with our access and our capacity from the perspective of our patients and their journey. Thanks so much, Rebecca. Thanks so much, Paul and Melanie. It's been so awesome to sit down with these amazing leaders. Again, we've had uh, Melanie Casimus, the Senior Director of Ambulatory Capacity Management of Mass General Hospital, Rebecca Carey, the Administrative Director of Patient Journey Optimization at Stanford, and Paul Rohr, the Director of Patient Access from the University of Colorado School of Medicine. Our topic today was clinical capacity management, and hopefully, as our listeners uh, can tell, It's certainly a very, very important topic within patient access. Thanks, and hope everybody has a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Patient Access Collaborative All Access Pass podcast. The conversation doesn't end here. Visit the Patient Access Collaborative for more content on our blog at www.patientaccesscollaborative.net or our LinkedIn page. Members can access a massive library of resources, including past webinars, benchmarks, directories, and more. Not a member but interested in these resources and joining a group of 3,000 patient access leaders? 
Join the Patient Access Collaborative today. Find real solutions to the challenges in your daily work by sharing ideas, contacts, and best practices with industry leaders in the Patient Access Collaborative. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you listen to the podcast. Until next time.